Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy New Year. Yeah. And I've already jinxed the football team like I do each and every year. Last year was Tennessee. Prior to that, it's been Notre Dame. There have been others. And now, right out the gate, my national champion. Florida State. Yeah, well, <laughs> that was an interesting circumstance. And there's a couple of teams that stole the headlines, Florida State being one of them with the injury to DeAndre Francois, which is just, I mean, it just sucks for everybody. Like, I know that if you if you don't like Florida State, you see something like that and you probably smile a little bit. You know, I never did because you always wanted a full-strength team in these situations throughout the season. It's not going to happen there. Uh, Texas A&M. A lot of people talking about that game still mm-hmm. today because it was as remarkable as you would imagine. And that's where we'll really start this morning because you know Kevin Sumlin coming into this season on the hot seat probably was going into last season on the hot seat. A couple of collapses in, in back-to-back years is going to do that. A huge collapse in the first game, even though two key players, including your quarterback, go out. In this game, which did lead to partially that collapse, you can't blame it all on that, but it is a factor in it. And now you got people from the Board of Regents putting Facebook posts up saying he has to go now. I I don't fire a guy after that. I just don't. First of all, it's eleven and a half million dollar buyout. If you haven't seen that, mm. eleven and a half. They million can handle dollars. that at Texas A&M. But still, yeah. sure you can handle it. Go ahead, a, fire me. There's a lot of things you can handle, but you don't want to do, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like ah, it's probably not worth it. Eleven and a half million. It would have been fifteen if they fired him at the end of last yeah. year. And also, you had the injuries. You were playing well. Let the season play out. See where you're at. I don't think that firing Kevin Sumlin early in this season is going to do much for Texas A&M. Might make a bunch of people feel a little bit better, but I don't think it's going to do much for the program. Uh, I agree, and for this uh, region, Busby, to come out and say this out loud, say this, put this on social media, that was so wrong. That's the wrong manner for someone in that position to go about expressing how he has felt and how he currently feels. Uh, yes, that was a heartbreaking loss for Texas A&M. Trust me, I have no sympathy for the program. Arch rival of my Longhorns, and we'll get to that sorry affair that they were took part in. But Texas A&M, there's no way you lose that ball game, 44-10. to 10. No way you're supposed to lose that ball game. And, yes, you lose your starting quarterback. You get a little conservative on offense. So how about you get even more conservative, allow the play clock to go down a little lower than 15 seconds prior to snapping the football. You got a true freshman in there. You tell him that. You try to snap that ball at the last possible second. That being said, it's a true freshman. He's got so many things going through his head. This was pointed out during the broadcast. He probably didn't even notice the play clock. He's trying to make sure he gets the call in. He gets everyone lined up. And the last thing on his mind is a damn play clock. That had to be a surreal moment for the young man. That being said, I said going into this season, it was time for John Chavis, the defensive coordinator there at Texas A&M, to earn his keep. Now, he's been highly regarded and deservedly so when he was at Tennessee for a long time. When he was at LSU, he moves over to, to Texas A&M. It's his third year there. 
and the defense still stinks, and they stunk up the joint during the second half. They allowed wide receivers to run free. They didn't tackle well. Defensively, your offense has put 44 points on the board. On the board. Go out there and hold them. And, and Josh Rosen, I know, he, 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 he talks a talk, and he walked a walk the other night and with his play. He's a hell of a quarterback. He probably played himself in that number one overall position uh, in, in the NFL draft. That being said, you still have to go out and find a way to win that ball game. You score 44 points. No way you should lose that game. Those are the type of losses that get coaches fired. Yeah, they do. And if you're able to survive a couple of late season collapses and then you come back and do that the first time that your fan base sees you, that's what everybody's going to say. But is that really the smartest thing? And I don't think it's an overreaction for people to say that Kevin someone has to go. I don't think it's overreaction. I think the conversation is, what's the best thing for the program right now? What puts you in the best position if you have an interim head coach? Or And I, I also don't know the relationship between the players and Kevin Sumlin. That's something that nobody ever talks about in these situations when you talk about a coach being fired midseason. What's that going to do? They go through an entire camp. They go through a gazillion practices. They blow one game, and then they fire the head coach. And how many players are going to be ticked off at that with the guy that recruited them who's done a hell of a job recruiting, and a lot of these players don't exactly pan out as a team or gel together some NFL guys certainly uh but that's been a big knock on Kevin Sumlin look at these recruiting classes look where we end up at the end of the season but it's just not feasible it's just not something you would do if you were a, a smart university with this program and it's fine if the guy the border regions guy wants to complain fine but the thing I didn't like about his complaint if you haven't seen it is he's patting himself on the back about how great he is for being able to stay quiet through everything. And this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, we're supposed to applaud the guy for taking the high road all right. this time. No one really cares about what you have to say. Truly, no one really cares. It became a big story because that game was a big story. But you're not that big of a deal, guy. No, it's interesting, right, for the guy to say, I've tempered my my criticism over the last few years. Like, but who now, are you? Now I, it's, it's boiling over. I have to say something. And if you feel that way, fine. And there may be others in the, on that board of regents that feel the same way, but they're not coming out publicly and making an ass of themselves. They're treating the head football coach with respect. Uh, you, you had Scott, I think it's Scott Woodard, his AD there at A&M, the new AD, and he came out at the beginning of the season and says, well, Kevin, uh, Coach Sumlin is on the hot seat, and, and he knows he needs to do this. And that. We, well, that was understood. You didn't have to voice it out loud. He n- understands that eight and five is not going to get it done. But you need to understand also that eight and five in the, the wild, wild west of the SEC—that's damn good for most programs, but not for A and M. Okay, we get the message. Kevin Sumlin's aware of that and he's been saying that for the last couple of years. They get out of the gates great. Then they had this precipitous fall at the end of the season. For him to save his bacon, he has finally. He finally has to defeat LSU, and I don't necessarily know if he gets that far in the schedule. That's at the end of the year, and he has yet to beat them. He's yet to beat Florida in the crossover game. Everyone else he has, Alabama just wants. He needs another significant win, and that was the case prior to the collapse this past weekend. He needs another big-time significant win, and that's Alabama watching in there, watching into College Station. If he can knock them off, 
huge feather in his cap. But that's the only thing that's going to save him. Beating an LSU team he's yet to beat since he's been head coach there or knocking off Alabama again. So nothing's really changed for him. No. Even well, after except for this. this year's the final straw. Yeah, but that was the same deal going into the year. I mean, those things that you right. just said was the exactly. same thing before this game happened. So I, I don't know why. I mean, it was it was an emotional loss is what it was. It was a. It's just one of those games that if you're on the losing end of it, that you think about forever, that you can't let go. It's like the Falcons in the Super Bowl. You're not going to know it's more on the line in the Super Bowl than this game, but still, it's just one of those things that no one expected to happen, and it did. And if that opportunity for the interception actually goes Texas A&M's way uh, in, in the fourth quarter and the ball doesn't go right through the defensive back's hands, then what happens then? You know, if Nick Starkle doesn't go down, what happens then? I mean, it's like there you could go on and on and on about the things that could have happened that would have saved them, but the bottom line is he came into this season with the fire right on his ass, and then this was embarrassing. Yeah, and now you have another high-profile member of that that A&M family. First it was the AD, now this Busby, the the regent, that's coming out and, and, and saying all these things in public. How about you show your head coach a little respect? How about that? They jumped into the deep end of the pool when they joined the SEC. They get that signature win versus Alabama. Johnny Menzel was there. They're winning 10, 11 ball games a year until these last few years. How about you show him just a bit of respect? He's helped build uh, and bring some excitement back to your campus. Show him just a little bit of respect, even if you want to get rid of him. Show him a little respect. How about that? That's not asking too much. Yeah, uh, no, I, I would agree with that. And I think that his early success – ended up hurting him in the long run because everybody expected that every year. When you start off that hot and you grab everybody's attention, you're thinking this is only going to get better from here. It is not. And that also leads to a bigger conversation that we've had in college football is not everybody can be the best. And every one of these places operate under the assumption that they can be the best and they should be the best, and that's why there is so much impatience in this business. Now, I'm not going to argue with the people that say you can't have these recruiting classes and these collapses hand-in-hand every single year at Texas A&M, and you can't have embarrassing losses like that where the coaching staff did have a big part in blowing that lead against UCLA. But if you look at what Texas A&M has done, they're not completely irrelevant. They're not a team that is in total disarray it's not a quagmire of a place he's still raking in recruits and pumping guys mm-hmm. into the nfl every nfl draft his face is everywhere yep. plastered over every network and i know it's not good enough but let's not act <laughs> like this guy showed up there and has gone owen 12 with his feet up on the desk because he blew a game that was right. a pretty high-profile loss. And, and, and I'm loss. still trying to find out what uh, Mr. Busby's talking about when he mentions this arrogance. What arrogance? Kevin Sumlin has not an ounce of arrogance. At least I haven't seen it. I've been around him numerous times. I count him as a friend. Uh, so I don't understand this arrogance that he speaks of. He needs to explain himself a little bit more since now he's out front and center with this critique of his head football coach. What arrogance? Yes, it's difficult in the West, but 8-5, and five, at least they've be consist- been consistent. They're winning at least eight games having played in that conference. But no one's going to be happy if you jump out and you, you start 6-0 and and 7-0 and and then you have this slide at the end of the season and you've yet to knock off your, your West mate 
in LSU, and, and you've yet to knock off Florida from the other side. Maybe you can do that this year. I don't even know if they're on the crossover schedule. But uh, you can't have that slide at the end of the year, but you're getting to bowls consistently. You're, you're over 500 consistently. And I understand it's not enough, but he has gotten you a whole lot better than you were before he stepped on campus. And I haven't seen arrogance from Kevin Sumlin, but if you were to name the most high-profile and best coaches in college football and you don't attach a little bit of arrogance to their name, then you're not telling the truth. I mean, if you think about Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, the highest-paid guys. I mean, Dabo Sweeney gets a lot of credit for you know being the hard-working guy who is the the every man's person but you could see a little bit of that from him as well I mean every every really good coach has a little bit of that and anyone that's good at anything has a little arrogance yeah you, you try to temper it somewhat at least the majority of us do but yes you got to have a, a certain confidence and a swagger uh, that you employ to be good to be successful and I know it is the, the right of fall. Uh, for everybody to now overreact right off the bat and then have Kevin Sumlin fired. But I, we already have to hear the Chip Kelly stuff. Texas, <laughs> I mean, that has, uh, why does that have to happen? Because Chip ever... Kelly did a hell of a job when he was at Oregon, and so he's always going to – his name's always going to pop up when you talk about college game. Because he hasn't worked out at the pro level, so – the the only place for him to land is back in the college game, so that's why that. everyone brings up his name. There's not a job opening, though. I agree. I mean, they played one game, <laughs> and there isn't a job opening, and you have to read stories about Chip Kelly going to Texas a that's, that's pretty interesting. I had this conversation with, with Rick Neuheisel the other day because we were discussing something I said on the set uh, on live TV a couple years ago about Les Miles and, and how the first call uh, that the those – empowered LSU would make would be to Jimbo Fisher, who coached there, of course, under Nick Saban. And I was correct in that. And he said, oh, you already got the man fired. And so Newhouse the other day says, well, Chip Kelly's going to be in line. It's like, oh, so it's okay for you to say that. You already got Kevin Sumlin fired. And yet when I mentioned that Les Miles, if he were to be ousted, that LSU would would ring Jimbo Fisher's phone, I was in the wrong, but it's okay for you to now mention Chip Kelly in association Hypocrite? with Hypocrite? Yeah. I call hypocrite. We, we, we had we had a good laugh about it, but that's how this this thing uh, rolls. And then Chip Kelly is going to be associated with any job that comes open. So you're right; they're putting the cart before the horse. Let's let this thing play out. And I think it's what three, four weeks. Alabama rolls into town. If they can knock them off, which I don't foresee sitting here today, especially with your starting quarterback out, we see how this young kid uh, from San Antonio how he plays moving forward. But uh, if they can get a signature win like that, Kevin Sumlin's fine. Just getting started. Opening up the phones for you. Do you agree with the Board of Regents member that Kevin Sumlin has to go now? Or does he deserve the opportunity to turn it around in 2017? 855-212-4CBS. Lines are open. 855-212-4227. We're coming right back. Talk to Geo and Jones now. 855-212-4CBS. If you were making the calls there at Texas A&M, would you fire the coach right now or give him the opportunity to turn it around? 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Andrew Bogish is like that rag that they're just squeezing every drop out of mm-hmm. on double duty today. He did the show by himself yesterday. I'm surprised he's still standing. 
He is here. He was limping into the studio. But he is ready to do an update for us. Good morning, Andrew. Uh, What's going on? Don't forget that I play the role of you and Brandon Tierney on Friday as well. Oh, I forgot about that. That's right. Trooper. Yeah, if we've learned one thing about me is that I am super tough. Yeah, mule-like. Yeah. You are. Donkey. Yes. Government mule. (laughs) Work you to death. (laughs) Yep. So hitting four home runs in one game is rarer, more rare, Mike, your thoughts, uh, than throwing a perfect game. 23 of those all time. Arizona's J.D. Martinez, just the 18th with four big swings. I feel like I blacked out. I don't even know what happened. I blacked out. I just want to come back tomorrow and, you know, get back in there. Martinez on Fox Sports Arizona, a little old school mixed in. The four homers producing six runs, which produced a 13-0 victory at Dodger Stadium, Arizona has won 11 straight. L.A. has dropped 9 of 10. Now, the bad news for the Diamondbacks, all-star first baseman Paul Goldschmidt has returned to Arizona for an MRI on his nagging right elbow. Home run number 53 for Giancarlo Stanton, but as Marlins losing for the seventh time in eight games, 7-2 to the Nats. Miami's six now behind the Rockies for the second NL wildcard. The Angels used an American League record 12 pitchers to beat the A's, 11-9 and 11 Anaheim now a half game behind Minnesota for the second AL wildcard. The Twins, 11-4 losers in Tampa Bay. And the Blue Jays, a 10-4 win at Fenway. That drops Boston's AL East leading the Yankees to two and a half games. For now, there is a hearing in U.S. District Court in Texas today over the pending ruling from from an arbitrator on Ezekiel Elliott's six-game suspension. But the NFL asked a federal court last night to throw out that petition from the Players Association because it has no standing to challenge a ruling that hadn't been made yet. The Colts officially ruled out QB Andrew Luck in his shoulder for week one. Scott Tolzien will start against the Rams. L.A. not yet ruling out Aaron Donald for that one. The holding out D-lineman did not report for practice yesterday. College football, Georgia Tech blew a 14-point fourth quarter lead, but had a chance to beat number 25 Tennessee in Atlanta with a 36-yard field goal in the final second. Snap down, kick, blocked. Tennessee blocks the kick. Tennessee blocks it and will go to overtime. That is Bob Kessling on the Vol Network from IMG. This is Georgia Tech head coach Paul Johnson unhappy with walk-on kicker Sean Davis. Who won the end of the game? Study said yards. I mean, he kicked that thing head high. Each team <laughs> reached the end zone on their two overtime possessions, but after their second, the Jackets went for two and were stopped. So the Vols won 42-41, despite being outgained 655 to 369. Georgia QB Jacob Eason will not play Saturday at Notre Dame because of a sprained ligament in his left knee. Freshman Jake Fromm starts instead. Head coach Kirby Smart says Eason does not need surgery, will play again this season. And Roger Federer beat Philip Kohlschreiber in straight sets in the fourth round of the U.S. Open last night. Juan Martin Del Potro is next. He shocked Dominic Team yesterday. Del Potro lost the first two sets, faced a pair of match points in the fourth before winning in five. Boys? All right, Bogus, thanks. So DeAndre Francois out for the year with that torn tendon in his left leg. And it just stunk to see all of that because you felt like even the loser in that game had a real opportunity to go. Both teams had a real good opportunity to Mm -hmm. go to the playoffs. Because you start off with a powerhouse like that, yeah, you got to run the table, and it's asking a lot, but the way these two teams were stacked, you were thinking we could see a potential national championship rematch with these two teams. We could see a playoff uh, game between these 
two teams, and now you feel like it's totally gone away. Now, James Blackman, I don't know enough about him to declare whether or not he's going to be terrible or he's going to be great, right? I mean, there's the, right. pe- the, the people that want him to be great are going to come up with reasons for him to be great. I do think, though, that the way the schedule lays out, where you got Louisiana Monroe coming up on Saturday before the Miami game, I think that that is just perfect for them to be able to, no disrespect to Louisiana Monroe, we don't like to do that, but it's perfect for them to, to see <laughs> We don't what like they to got. disrespect people? <laughs> well, you know, it's early in the season, you never know. Uh, but you know what I mean, right? right. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a nice and but and I thought that that Florida State defense, even though I mean the score it's twenty four to seven, right. and, and that Alabama defense was just unbelievable. But I thought the Florida State, I mean, you're going up against the best defense in the country. I think that their defense played pretty well. I saw enough from them to think that something can be salvaged here, just that the expectations are so damn high. I I agree one hundred percent. The defense for Florida State is championship quality. They, they 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 damn sure are, and they had to deal with sudden change a number of times in that ball game versus Alabama, and whether it was interceptions or you, they kick off and and the Florida State uh, returner fumbles the rock, so uh, they played as well as possible trying to overcome three turnovers in that ball game, and not to mention a non call of a pass interference heading into halftime. Subsequently, you have your field goal attempt blocked uh, for Florida State, so they have to be sitting there. Wondering what if, if you get that P.I. called right mm. there before halftime and you're able to get possibly a closer field goal or even seven points uh, on the board. But, uh, yeah, ULM, uh, University of Louisiana, where we had them on the CBS Sports Network last week, they lost to Memphis. And they've always been a team that's played the big boys tough. Now Florida State uh, will get a chance to break in James Blackman. Tall cat, about 6'5", 185, paper thin. Uh, and, and I don't know if he can absorb the hits that a DeAndre Francois has absorbed over last year and now one, uh, one game in. And, of course, he wasn't able to continue after that last hit uh, to tackle from behind. So uh, they're going to have to try to keep this young guy, uh, keep him clean. And, 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 and I think in this next ball game that should be able to uh, happen. But going up against Miami, one of my sleepers to get into the, the, the playoff at They've got a hell of a front seven. I mean, these guys can hunt. They're very young. At three true freshmen play our start a year ago for the Hurricane because of suspensions and dismissal. So uh, that would be a a great test for this offense and for the young quarterback. But that's two weeks down the road. you got to worry about this week. You just focus on Louisiana Monroe. And now if they can generate a running game. Cam Akers, when he came in, he gave him a little bit more energy. Uh, well, you're still going up against Bama's defense, but still you could see some 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 hope within – uh, the acres being in there, and I think they will lean on that running game and, and try to protect the quarterback and, and, and have a pretty vanilla offense going in for Blackman. If you could somehow get past Miami, then you've got three winnable games after that, NC State, Wake Forest, Duke, before you run into Louisville. So I, I don't want to close the curtain on no. Florida State just mm-hmm. yet uh, because there's so much unknown. And I think that's the, the major difference between – the early injury in college football as opposed to the early injury in the NFL is that, all right, Scott Tolzien's going to start for the <laughs> Indianapolis Colts, right? You know what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, it's a skinny kid who's young who, as you mentioned, has some traits that you believe are going to be tough for him to survive the long haul in, in big-time college football. But you also don't know because there's been much more examples of the unknown coming in and shocking us in college football 
uh, than there are, you know, in, in, in pro sports because usually you know uh, what is going to happen with some of the backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, I tell you, my association with you has made me pay attention to Texas football way more than I ever wanted to. And it also, I also can't run away from it, right? Because all the tweets. My bad, I'm sorry. That I get that are tagging you and the show and then people that uh, that are friendly with me that will text me, what is Brian going to say? I mean, it is a compliment to you that when this team stinks, everybody thinks about you. It really is. <laughs> it's, I appreciate that. I mean, it, no, you always want to be one of those guys. You do. That, that when the team, I wonder what Brian's thinking right now. And I, I've ceased to, because I, I know what you're thinking. I don't need to wonder what, you, what you're what thinking. What am I thinking? You're thinking that uh, this. I knew this team had a long way to go, but boy, did that suck. Yeah. And this defense should have been a hell of a lot better when returning 10 starters and you're getting your ass kicked up front by Maryland the entire friggin' game. Well, well, let, let's start there because that's spot on. They got their asses kicked. They got pushed around. And I didn't expect that. While you're learning a new system, fine. You're going to make some mistakes. You're running around, uh, you got new th- thoughts in your head, and, and yeah, there are going to be mistakes. And this first game out, every team made mistakes. And especially when you're trying to wrap your arms around a new defensive philosophy. But to get pushed around, that's what bothered me the most about this loss. Now, I told our boss, Eric Spitz, got a son there in Maryland. I said, look out. He's like, oh, Texas is three-touchdown favorite. Okay. I'm just telling you, DJ Durkin uh, has the team heading in the right direction six and seven a season ago. The guy made his name as a defensive coordinator. Where it was Florida, it was Michigan, now head coach there uh, at Maryland. I said, Look out. I am not believing in this three touchdown spread. And I wish I'd put some money on it because hmm. they walked into to Austin after giving up the pick six. They looked a part of a team that's on the rise. They kicked Texas's ass. The defense couldn't do anything. Even with the backup quarterback, you put him in, Kasim Hill, and they couldn't stop him. Uh, so Coach Herman is correct. Sometimes you can play so tight and you can try to do too much. And that's a, that was the recurring theme with Cho- Coach Strong. The same thing. You saw these guys going out trying to show that they love Coach Strong, they wanted to play so hard for him, and they would trip over their own feet. That's fine. That didn't bother me, Coach, saying that, hey, there were some positives after we watched the film. Uh, they, they just tried too hard. Okay, but what really bothered me about his, conversation, his, his comments, and this was immediately after the game, to suggest that he would come in and sprinkle some fairy dust on this football team and they would turn into a 12-0 football team. No one expected that. No one's even thinking that. I said at the beginning of the year, eight, nine wins at the most. That's it. No, I didn't expect you to sprinkle fairy dust, but I also didn't expect the damn defense to be run over like they were. I didn't expect them to be punk, to be pimp slap. I didn't expect that either. So that condescending uh, fairy dust comment, uh, that stuck in my craw. But Clearly. It, yeah, it, but you know, just go and, and teach them some toughness, and in nine months you can teach that. A bit of part of a turnaround like that where you were played soft, you got your asses kicked, but you went through a whole offseason, you went through a, a, a training camp, and you came out better for it. You may lose, 
but you weren't going to get pushed around, and this football team was pushed around. What doesn't help the digestion of this game is that Tom Herman, in other stops, has gotten off to that hot start. He has been the guy who has gotten people's attention in games one and two and three, and yeah. oh my goodness, this guy can coach. So, I mean, that's that I think is is something that people will look to. I also, and, and you may disagree because this was an all-game thing, but I, I was most discouraged from a Texas standpoint by the end of this game because, yeah, it was out of hand and, yeah, you felt like they were losing for a long time. But what was it, about three and a half, four minutes to go, and I could be wrong about this after consuming so much college football, but they're Mm -hmm. down 10. Mm -hmm. And that touchdown run by Maryland to put them up 17 to really say goodbye, I mean, there looked like a lot of, well, we're just going to let them go type of play at that moment it just looked like this guy was breaking tackles they were just getting it was just like well we lost forget about it as opposed to hey we're down 10 we still got a couple minutes left you get a stop you block a field goal something a turnover it just was like we're gonna hand I mean they weren't even trying to score Maryland at that point they were just like score a touchdown that is it's like we're gonna hand the ball off and the guy runs in for a touchdown and then when they're I know they scored one more time there but the Texas offense it's just you know throw it up and just it just didn't seem like there was a lot of energy well, the, at the end of that game like all right we got crushed but we're gonna go out fighting in this one well, that, and that's what you have to do in, the, in those situations there was no identity on the offensive side of the ball they couldn't run the rock to save their lives and you got this big old back in Chris Warren I guess he's in the doghouse like other guys Amante Foreman apparently was in the doghouse as well but he catches the first offensive touchdown uh, for the team after the defense puts 14 points on the board you got special team problems that still persist uh, as they had a season ago uh, so uh, offensively, just no no identity there. Who, who are you going to be? And and you come to this season thinking or saying that this is the most talented offensive line that you've probably be, ever been around, and they didn't look like it. It looked horrible. You had inopportune uh, penalties. Uh, it, it, and we expect there to be some missteps in the first ball game. But those were huge. And you just you got to have more discipline. You can't do that. And, 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 and then let me admonish the fan base for throwing debris onto the field. Really? Grow up. Uh, that, that's just ridiculous. What you do is you say, Maryland, you, you came in and you whipped our butt. You acknowledged that they were the better team. Should be used you to t- it by now. You t- exactly. Unfortunately, they should be. Uh, you tell DJ Durkin what a hell of a job you and your Maryland terp- uh, Terrapins did here. Uh, you don't throw stuff on the field. That's ridiculous. They acted like jackasses. Those who took part in, in doing that. I know it wasn't everyone there at DKR, but that, that was a bad look. Coming up next, we'll talk some Jim Harbaugh and a baseball season over for one of the game's greats. Coming right back. Greg Giannotti, Brian Jones on CBS Sports Radio. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Jim Harbaugh and what he does with his nose has been <laughs> so gross. Has been very. He's <laughs> been capturing America's attention now for two years. So there was the whole eating of the mm, booger thing, yeah. and, and now it's like the the, the latest is the mm. booger on the finger, and then the wiping <laughs> on the sleeve. I mean, it's. Just, but what makes me sort of scratch my head with this is he's not the only head coach that gets a lot of camera time, right? Right. There's a bunch yeah. in all sports right. that are high-profile guys that get a ton of camera time. 
why is he the only one that gets all this booger stuff? <laughs> that must mean like he is really messing with his nose a lot. In he's his mucusly challenge? May, well, maybe not. <laughs> or mucusly fulfilled. Mucusly filled. Yeah. It is it is something else though. Just amazing. Well, I mean, Here we are in, again. He's in that, that climate, the indoors, and it's probably cold there. <laughs> they were in Dallas. It was probably a little chilly yeah, in, the, sure. in the dome. It's usually chilly in domes, and it just started flowing, man. It <laughs> just started ah. flowing. Ah, yeah. Gross. I was watching the Michigan-Florida game, and I was out, and I was thinking, you know, you could put a, a bet on a game like this, get you, get you fired up for one side or the other. I didn't end up doing it, but I thought, I was like, if I, if I do, what would I bet? And it was... Florida and the points, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that was probably the best value. And then when I saw those two pick sixes early in the game, and then Spate gets pulled and O'Corn goes in, I'm thinking, oh, this is just, this is playing out perfectly. <laughs> but, I mean, Florida, my goodness. I mean, they, they have to be, if you're a, a, a Florida Gators fan, watching that offense has got to drive you mad. My God! Yeah, and 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 it hurts me personally because their offense coordinator is a former teammate of mine, Doug Nussmeyer, and they just looked horrible offensively. I understand you got a first year starting Felipe Franks, but that offensive line was supposed to come back. They're supposed to be much better, and they've been having these closed practices, so no one had really gotten a good look at what they were working with up front. But you got you know four returning starters. You should play much much better than that. And they look lost. And Michigan, I apologize, my bad, because y'all look. Damn good. One returning start on the defensive side of the ball, and they play lights out. And offensively, you had some new guys step up at wide receiver, at running back, and and they just took it to Florida, especially there in that second half. So my bad, you are for real. You want to declare that already? Yes. Okay. After the way they whipped up on Florida, yes. Even with yes. that bad offense? They made them look bad. Mm-hmm. They made mm-hmm. them look horrible. And I know they went out – uh, ten guys, but only one starter on the offensive side, or two stars on the offensive side of the ball. But I don't know if even if you have Antonio Callaway in there, you're going to have time to find him. Uh, yes, he puts a lot more pressure on your defenses, but uh, they they look damn good. I'm going to say my bad. Yes, they looked apart. Michigan looked apart, and Don Brown at what he was at Boston College, and now his second year there at Michigan, uh, he knows how to coach us from defense. What about that offense, though? Because early on in that game, that's what everybody was talking about was quarterback position and not feeling settled with that. Uh, It's been an issue for them. Certainly, they were a great defensive team last year. And if you believe that the defense is there and the defense is back and this defense is going to be one of the better ones in college football uh, early after seeing that, is it going to be the offense that holds them back again? Are we we talking about Florida? No, we're talking about Michigan. Oh, we're talking about Michigan. Um, will the offense hold them back? Well, Spade has to progress. He has to get better. And you know, going throws, into that ball man. game, yeah, there were. And going into that ball game, uh, you know, John O'Corn comes in, the guy who played at Houston. And O'Corn, if listen, Harbaugh said, yeah, he was going to get some time in this ball game, but it looked as though you were pulling Spate. I think that was right after the second yeah, pick. Of course, six. he pulled him. Yeah, yeah. And, and he said, "Well, he was going to get some time anyway." And mm-hmm. and, I, and uh, I don't know if it was going to be necessarily that series, uh, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. They're still finding their legs, but that's a good first win for them going up against an off a defense for Florida that only had one starter that was out on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, they lost Marcel Harris starting safety uh, prior to the season commencing, but. 
uh, still some some guys over there that can ball on that defense, and and they just owned them. They they whipped up on Florida. That, that was a horrible look for them. Exciting game last night ended in overtime with Tennessee beating Georgia Tech. And a funny gif from this game is after an interception, got the defensive back going to dunk a football in a giant garbage can, which generally isn't something that is tough <laughs> to do, right? It's like you would think that most people could dunk a football into a garbage can, but somehow he missed. This dude. Well, Micah Abernathy actually he put he got it was one of those where you dunk it and it pops out. Yeah, well, and and the guy holding the trash can didn't help. And I, I'm just trying to wrap my arms around this whole trash can deal. Doesn't make any period. sense. Yeah, well, that, hide the ball, really? I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, they Alabama when you force a turnover, they give you a a, a championship belt, uh, something of that sort. But the, the garbage can walking around with this big gray garbage can with Tennessee. Paraphernalia or writing markings it says all team one on. two one on it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever works, though, right? That's what they what, say. Yeah, whatever it takes. But I mean, uh, uh, what's his face? Abernathy felt like he was. I mean, it looked like he was fired up to dunk the football yeah, in there. Yeah. So if he's fired up to dunk a football in a garbage can, let's let him. And it, and it bounds out of the garbage can. <laughs> Who cares, right? <laughs> they got so the, they, they, they got the turnover. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they did. They didn't take it away from. Him, although they should have. If I was an official in that game, I'd be like, no, 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 no. Give me the ball back. No, we're, yeah. we're taking that away. That was so pathetic, that whole display, <laughs> that I'm now giving the ball back well, to Georgia Tech. What what a, a, a great game. And, and one aside about Abernathy, the grandson of, of Ralph Abernathy, the uh, civil rights uh, activist way back when. And, and so uh, he's got an interesting legacy, and we did a feature on him that should air this week. I believe on CBS Sports Network, uh, but uh, an excellent game. And, and you look at the, the amount of yardage that Tennessee defense uh, gave up in this ball game, and you look at you know Texas being pushed around. They're not the same. You can give up a ton of yardage, especially when you're taking on the option. It's a difficult offense to defend, even if you have all summer to get ready for it, because you can't simulate and run it the same manner in which. Georgia Tech does because they do it in their sleep. They do it all the damn time. And so to get those big stops there, especially on the two-point play, uh, to end the ball game was huge for that defense. That goes without saying. But they figured it out at the right time when they really needed to, and they got to stop there and the victory. But uh, that that was a hell of a football game and kept me up way too late. We were just talking about Florida and Florida quarterbacks and their offense. Well, there's still one guy that everybody will think of when you talk about that team, and he completed his first baseball season. It is over. Tim Tebow's first minor league season is officially over. He finished the season hitting 226. He had eight home runs, 52 RBIs, and 126 strikeouts. Mm-hmm. And you know how I feel about Tim Tebow trying to play baseball. But I will tell you this. With everything that I expected from Tim Tebow, he did a hell of a job. Oh! He did a hell of a job. He did. I will give him credit. Those numbers don't sound great. Damn, what happened to you over Labor Day weekend? I'm just being honest. Okay. I'm also also happy that the Mets aren't going to call him up, which I think we're finally in the clear with that. I think we're finally. Why are they not calling him up? (laughs) You call everyone up this time of year, especially Tim Tebow. 
So I think we're in the clear with that. So I'm okay about that. Call him up so he can get one at bat and get. I don't even think you have to have him at bat. You still get your pension. I, Major League Baseball. They just call you up and you're in the dugout. Boom, you're set. I've thought. What's the point of this? And he's really not going to get anything, get anywhere with it. But I mean, he did it. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. That's damn. Good. I mean, you got if you're thinking of it in the context of the only thing you can get out of this is that's positive is if you get to the major leagues, then yeah, of course it's a it's a failure in that light. But I don't think you can look at it like that. I think you have to look at it like, all right, this guy gave this a shot. He was able to hang mm-hmm. in a couple of levels. It wasn't great, but he was able to hang in a couple of levels of minor league baseball. Right. He's 30 years old. These guys are, are younger than he is, and it's also another tremendous life experience for this guy. So, yeah, if you look at it in that prism, he did pretty damn well. If you're only thinking that the only reason he's doing it is to get to the majors, it's a failure, but I, I don't think he's looking at it like that, and I don't think anybody else should either. No, I, I applaud the young man. You go live that dream. They give you an opportunity, and and you take advantage of it and, and post pretty good numbers like that. Yeah, good for him. Uh, that's great. Now, and, and maybe they won't call him up. Maybe there's an agreement here. Hey, I don't want to be called up. I want to get back to my television duties with the SEC Network mm-hmm. and all that. So I don't know. I yeah. wonder. It's interesting. Yeah, I would think the team, since they've given you this golden opportunity uh, to continue to further a professional career, would have more uh, leverage on w- whether or not we call you up or, or allow you to just go and, and continue your, your television duties. Well, I think that he would probably want that, too. I mean, even if it was somewhat of a gimmick, he'd still be able to say that he played in the Major League yeah, Baseball game. Right. Now, I'm glad they didn't do it because the season for the Mets could only go below rock bottom if they called up Tim Tebow because of how bad it's been and everybody would know that it wasn't on merit and it was more... Did someone else just get hurt? I know he had the Conforto injury. Well, Did someone else just have a well, freak injury? Well, not- oh, the guy that hit the ball, he hit it and it bounced up and hit him in the face. Yeah, I, I forget. Wilmer Flores. Oh, Flores. Oh, yeah. Right. He's a, a a favorite. He was the one that was crying, right, when he, he heard he was traded. Well, yeah, yeah when he, he really wasn't traded. Right. Yeah. And, and so he hit the ball, and it bounced off the bat and hits him. Yeah. Only, there was a press that. release that was out yesterday that had, like, ten guys and what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was just mm-hmm. hilarious because it was an official <laughs> Mets press release. It was like David Wright went on, you know, underwent surgery for this. Yeah. You know, Wilmer Flores has this with his face. You know, Noah Syndergaard has this, but he pitched one inning, and like we're kind of hopeful, but not really. You know, like it was just it was just one after another. It was hilarious. All right, coming up next, the NFL littered with social issues. Yes, let's use the NFL as a platform. Why not? It's Gio and Jones. We're coming right back. Happy New Year to everybody. Going back to school. That sucks. Gio and Jones, CBS Sports Radio. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.